Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's a great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they show it. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast, hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna. What is up, everybody? Bill's Mafia. Actually, I got to stop for a second. I'm not allowed to do the intro for this one. Everybody told me they needed the Joe Marino intro to this. So, so we're all, we're all oh, in our boy. seat. We're ready to go. Give it to us live in person. Okay. What's up, Bill's Mafia? It's Joe Marino, Ryan Talbot, and Matt Perino from the Draft Network and Syracuse.com and NewYorkUpstate.com. And, of course, the Lockdown Bills podcast live from Sunny Reds in Lackawanna. Dude. You brought the heat there. I like it. I appreciate it. Welcome in. We are at Sunny Reds in Lackawanna. It is the joint pod. Shout and lockdown bills together under one roof. My man's in town from Carolina getting ready for this uh, Carolina Panthers versus Buffalo Bills game this weekend. And we thought, let's get together in a great place around the holidays to talk some Bills football for all you uh, Bills fans and, and bring all of our heads together. We even got this guy out. From Olean, look at that sweater. Mm. Pretty nice, right? How are you? I'm doing great. Excited to be here. I'm glad this all worked out. I have known Joe for quite some time, so really excited to do this joint pod tonight. I'm pumped up. I know everyone else here is, so let's get into it. You got the uh, you got the family here, right? I did. Brought the family. Uh, shout out to my wife, of course, my mother, my grandpa Don, my grandmother, my aunt Karen. Came out to support, man. It's uh means a lot. You know, I think it's we we do these podcasts, we do all this this content creation, but the family sometimes gets overlooked and how important they are in making that stuff possible. So love and appreciate everyone that came out and everyone uh, at home and people watching my daughter so I can get out here tonight. So you know, this that's a lot of hands involved a lot of times. You get it, you guys have kids, so yes. There ours are sitting over right, there, right, causing a ruckus uh in the middle of this bar, but it's a good time. Listen. Whether you're celebrating at home or away this weekend, I know most people are going to be in parking lots about a 10-minute drive from here. Tops has all your fan favorites ready to enjoy for football, entertaining, or any occasion. Get over to Tops Friendly Markets. They'll hook you up. The official sponsor of Shout a Buffalo Football Podcast. All right, let's get into it, guys. I had a whole outline that I wanted to get into, and I was going to start with some you know, 30,000-foot topics where we can kind of get into the state of the Bills. But I think with the events of today, we got to start – with this game on Sunday, because listen, we got 
for Bills fans, some good news. Josh Allen's going to play. But the uncertainty is around Deion Dawkins, who tested positive for COVID-19. Again, he went through it back in August, missed two weeks. Now he tests positive again, but there's new protocols, Ryan. There is a chance that he could play. How can that happen? Yeah, absolutely. So listen, don't rule him out just yet. He just needs to test negative leading up to this game on Sunday. And that is pretty much all that needs to take place in one of these rapid tests. Is that correct, man, based on these new protocols? He's got to be asymptomatic. Asymptomatic. So that's a huge piece of it. Odell Beckham Jr. tweeted that, you know, he had a negative test. If that game was still going on tomorrow um, or on Sunday, the Rams game is going to push back. Maybe that could be a possibility. But let's get into, Joe, what this means for Sunday because we were talking so much all week about – Will Josh Allen play? Won't he play? I got some things I want to get into later. But without Deion Dawkins there, what do the Bills do? I I got some thoughts, but what do you think? Well, there's certainly options, and I guess that's a good thing, but you're not going to have your preferred starting five should Deion Dawkins be unable to go. And the sad part about that is, is you thought there was a chance that this could be the week Feliciano came back, and they finally did get that that preferred five on the field, including Spencer Brown. I think there's got to be a chance that Spencer Brown goes to left tackle, that Darrell Williams goes to right tackle, and then you either put Feliciano or Cody Ford at right guard with Bakker staying at left guard in the porch, Mitch Morse at center. So there are options, and, you know, it's just not ideal because you have guys flipping around, you have the musical chairs, and if there's anything good about the Carolina Panthers, it's that speed rush that they give you with Brian Burns, with Hassan Reddick, with Yitur Grossmatos, Morgan Fox. I mean, they've got a really good group of pass rushers. They're top ten in the NFL in sacks. And so this isn't the type of game where you want to not have your ideal starting five on the field. And it looks like that could be the case on Sunday. So, you know, I put out my initial impressions of what I thought this thing could look like if Deion Dawkins can't go. And it's kind of evolved over the course of the day. But my my first reaction was and we got Aaron Quinn from cover one here today. We had a little bit of a back and forth. We'll bring him in in a little bit. We'll, Thank we'll, you. we'll chat with him. Uh, but my first thought was, OK, maybe you keep Spencer Brown at right tackle. I don't I don't think it's ideal necessarily. But I was talking to Spencer a couple weeks ago, right before he tested positive for COVID. And it was for a story that I'm, I'm kind of saving as the season goes along. But one of the things we talked about was what it's been like at right tackle. He did not play any left tackle barely in college, a little bit in spring ball. So I asked him, like, is that something where, you know, you played a lot in training camp, you play a lot in uh, preseason. Is that something you can kind of go back and forth? And he's like, not really. I mean, it's home is right tackle. And getting those swing tackle reps in, in the preseason camp were good. But this is something three days removed. I think you might be a little bit worried if you're Sean McDermott about switching him over. If everything kind of goes backwards haywire for Spencer Brown, you might want to go even as scary as it is a guy like Bobby Brown or Bobby Hart, Bobby Brown, Bobby Hart, who's been, you know, started for the Titans uh, a couple weeks ago before the Bills brought him back. It wasn't good. He gave up six pressures in in that game. I'm not saying that. But if he's been repping left tackle in, in practice day after day, it might be something that you consider. Obviously, Tommy Doyle could be in play as well. Yeah, listen, I think you guys have both said it. This is not an ideal situation. When, when your other options are Bobby Hart and Tommy Doyle, Hart, a guy that uh, has quite the reputation of letting guys kind of beat him on a regular basis throughout his career, and Tommy Doyle, someone, Matt, that we talked all throughout training camp and preseason, just didn't look ready to play NFL reps. If those are your other options, what do you do? You almost have to put Spencer Brown at left tackle in that scenario. You already said 
he's not used to that. He hasn't had many reps there. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens if he can if Deion Dawkins cannot play. But I think maybe the, the best scenario would be having Spencer Brown play. So we get to do a fun thing tonight. They, they just put on the YouTube feed in the in the building. So we get to kind of talk and get each other's takes, and at the same time hear ourselves talking in the background. And I got to say, it's on a little bit of a delay. Oh wow, that came in pretty high right there. That's going to be something that really just dial in right here, boys. Right, right, dial in right here. You know, so Josh Allen's back this week, which is you know obviously good news for Bills fans, yeah. right? I had started to have a conversation over the course of the week with a couple colleagues about what it means to have that decision in front of you between, yeah, this is crazy. Like I'm seeing stars. Okay. What does he have to be at? What level does he have to be at? If you're Sean McDermott for you to be comfortable with him playing in this scenario, because listen, he was a full participant in practice today. That's good news, right? So you're, you're comfortable sending him out there. But if it's if it's not 100%, maybe he doesn't re-injure the ankle, but if he plays a different style of football, if he's if he's kind of, uh, you know, running a certain way because of the injury, you wonder if it might not be a best, the best-case scenario for to throw him out there in this situation, but it seems like the Bills are comfortable. What do you, what do you think, Joe? Would you, do you have any reservations? I have a hard time buying into being concerned on this, and I, maybe I'm trying to be a little bit too optimistic here, but Josh Allen finished the game. He was not seen in a walking boot at all, all week. From all indications, he seemed comfortable in his practice reps. He practiced in full today. I mean, what more do you need? I, I guess I just have a hard time buying into any concern that Josh Allen's shouldn't play or that there's some type of concern that if he does play, he won't be to the level that they need him to be in this football game. I just, I guess I have a hard time buying into that, that type of concern. Are you, are you afraid of Mitch Trubisky in this spot? It's, it's kind of, it's, listen, I don't think it's a, a must win game. Like, I don't think that they're there yet. There's, there's plenty of, you know, debauchery still to come in the AFC with the way that these teams are going to be picking each other off one by one. But I don't know. I, something about it. I, I kind of want to see what Mitch Trubisky looks like with the tools that he'd have at his disposal in this offense. Listen, I'm not sitting here saying he's going to produce like Josh Allen. And one of the things that, you know, I think no matter who you talk to, you know, I was listening to Greg Cosell this week, watching the film on, on Josh Allen's Bill's offense. He's like, there's no quarterback in the league that's asked to do as much for his team at times as Josh Allen is asked to do. But I think that, you know, this is why you sign Mitchell Trubisky. If there's any reservations, I think that you've got to be comfortable sending him out there. But you, you're a little bit hesitant. I, I'm very hesitant. Listen, it was already mentioned by Joe. This Panthers defense is very good. Mm-hmm. And, and Trubisky has some mobility. I'm not saying that he doesn't. He's not Josh Allen. Josh Allen makes this offensive line look way better than they are. He can make plays with his arm, with his legs. I'm not sure Trubisky is there, even with Brian Dable, even with all those weapons. You have the pass rush. And in addition to that pass rush, which has 32 sacks this season, Matt, you're talking about a defense that's in top two in the league overall in terms of passing yards and overall defense. I'm not sure I would trust Mitch Trubisky in that spot. And I'm going to disagree with you respectfully. I think this is it a must-win game. Respectfully. This is a must-win game. They've lost. They are somehow. They're going to be a Jeopardy question where that's going to be like these are the two teams that Urban Meyer actually beat in the NFL. The Bills had a terrible loss to Jacksonville. They've had some really bad losses this year. The 0 and 4, 0 and 5 in one score games. This is the time where they need to rattle off 
a lot of wins to get the momentum for the playoffs. So I think it is a must-win game, and that's why you have Josh Allen out there. Ideal scenario, Joe, he doesn't play all four quarters. You can maybe rest yeah. him after three. Well, especially because I think – there's a lot of people buying into the way that that team responded in the second half against Tampa Bay, that that was the launch point. That was the moment where, all right, they woke up, they showed they can fight back, they showed that they're a tough team, that they're a resilient team for what I think was the first time all season. And so you'd hate to squander that opportunity to propel this forward where you're running out of time, right? You're, and you got a great opportunity. You got three at home, Carolina, Atlanta, and the Jets, one at New England. The time's now. I mean, this isn't the time to be cautious with Josh Allen. They need him to go out there and seize this momentum and, and try to recapture the excitement that was there before the season kicked off. It's still out in front of them. They win all four of these games. They got a really good chance to win the division. They win three out of four. They're probably going to the playoffs. You get to the tournament, anything can happen. We know this team's capable. 17 needs to play. So uh, I got some thoughts on that. We're going to get into that later on in the show. And when we talk about like the AFC and, and some of the games that are coming up, um, but before we move on too far, I, and I think like, you know, we'll stay on this game because, you know, it's suddenly become a lot more. Wow, it's getting crazy here. Oh, oh by the way, before we move on too far, hit that like button, if you will. If you're watching on YouTube, we appreciate you trying to grow the channel a little bit. A little housekeeping. Hit that subscribe button as well. All the lockdown bills. Joe Marino stands in the house. You know, ju- ju- jump aboard the shout train, too. Uh, we- we'd love to have you in here. Um you know, a lot of questions. If, if you have a question, you could submit it. Beers are being just thrown at us uh, in abundance. Um, if you have a question, feel free to drop it in the comment section. We will get it to it. My lovely assistant off to the side. Doing a great um, job. Yeah, my wife's over there. Uh, she's doing a great job. The kids are over here. It's kind of crazy. Um, somebody asked in the comments, what about switching Daryl Williams over to left tackle? Oh, no, no, no. no yeah, no. yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Let me, can I just jump in right there? Yeah, absolutely. I've watched a lot of Daryl Williams, all right? I live in Charlotte, North Carolina. I know all about Daryl Williams, and here's what you need to know. You can't play on the left side. Can't play left tackle. Can't play left guard. Just like what you're talking about with Spencer Brown. Right. He's comfortable on the right side. Daryl Williams, comfortable on the right side. Disaster on the left side. You want to start feeling like, like Bobby Hart's in the lineup? Go ahead and put Daryl Williams over there on the left side, and you'll see a turnstile on the Bills' offensive line. You can't do it. Yeah. You can't play on the left side. And then listen, I, if you're asking us right now, as much, even though I talked about Spencer Brown, and you know I mentioned conversation with Aaron earlier, I do think that it's going to be Spencer Brown moving back to the left side. I think it's your best case scenario. You, you put your, you know, uh, Spencer Brown, who you have faith in, over to the left side. You you move Daryl Williams out. It's not ideal, but it allows you to get uh, Feliciano back in the lineup. He can play right guard. I think at times. I think Feliciano has been their best right guard yeah. over the stretch sure. of the last two years. Yeah. I think you make that argument. Mike Bucker, I think, has progressively played a little bit better, and you got to lean on Mitch Morris, the guy that you're paying the most money on this offensive line, to go out there against the Carolina Panthers front, which, agreed, it's really good. And we're going to get into Brian Burns, Hassan Reddick. i got a question about uh, him. I want to talk about him a little bit as well. But, uh, yeah, stay away from Darrell Williams at, at left tackle. I don't think it's a good idea. All right, let's talk a little bit about Brian Burns and about this Carolina Panthers front. Because I think if you if you want to talk about one area where the Bills could be in a little bit of stress on Sunday, that's one area where over the course of the season, when things have gone bad for this offense, it's been breakdowns up front. And with you know moving parts and guys being asked to play different positions. This is another situation where if you let things break down, we're not talking about just sacks. We're talking about potential turnover situations. Uh, Emmanuel Sanders won't play. We'll get into Gabriel Davis in a moment. 
But how concerned will are you two right now with the matchups on the on the edge and then obviously on the interior as well? I'm extremely worried if, if Dan Dawkins cannot go. Listen, the Bills did figure something out, I thought, on, on Sunday against Tampa Bay in terms of that aggressive pass rush. When second half they started handing it off to Devin Singletary, they were taking advantage of some things that they saw. Uh, the, the pass to Dawson Knox sticks out in my mind where it looked like he was going to be a blocker. He dropped it off to him to get the big game. It's, I think they're starting to figure things out, and that's what's most important right now. It's seven and six. That's been a big issue with that pass rush. We saw the Pittsburgh game, the Jacksonville game, where that pass rush really killed the Bills in terms of them winning. So maybe now they can build that momentum up and say, okay, we can take advantage of how good these guys are and how they're going to come at us, knowing that Josh Allen isn't at 100%, and maybe screen passes, quick passes. And that's what we saw in the second half against Tampa Bay. I don't want to like take this a different direction, but I feel like I need to. Any direction well, because, you want. because I think that you're right, Matt. Like, if there's a formula for Carolina to win this game, it's going to be about that defense, that front seven, that speed that they have in the front seven, being able to take advantage of the Bills' offensive line. But I want to kind of like take the opposite of that because if there's if there's an offensive line that is worse off than the Bills by a lot, it's Carolina. I mean, they don't have but one starting caliber player in Taylor Moton. The other four guys are very underwhelming. They don't play well together. They've struggled all season long. And so the same concern that the Bills should have about dealing with Carolina's front seven with an undermanned offensive line, it is amplified to a much higher level when you consider it from the Carolina Panthers side of things. Oh, by the way, they're platooning P.J. Walker and Cam Newton. They don't have Christian McCaffrey. And their best receiver, DJ Moore, is hobbled up. And so you'd like to think with those dynamics in place that you can overcome it because it's not like that's an offense that's really positioned well to take advantage of a Bills offense that might have some struggles, right? I think the Panthers are going to struggle no matter what on offense. Now, that would be disappointing if that wasn't the case because I feel like they're so undermanned on offense. But I think every concern that we are trying to bring up right now about Buffalo is probably times 10 if you apply to the Carolina Panthers. Let me get this straight. I think this is a great spot for the Bills. Like, even if Deion Dawkins can't play, to your point, this is a situation where look what they've done against, you know, low-caliber offenses, low-caliber quarterbacks all season. This is a matchup built for this Bills defense. I was listening to Cam Newton's media availability this week. First thing out of his mouth was Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde. You know, opposing quarterbacks, especially like below-average starting-level quarterbacks, you know, fear this secondary, even without Tredavious White, because of how well Jordan Poyer is playing. And I think this is the type of game with the concerns that the Carolina Panthers have up front that this Bills defensive line can get some pressure. Listen, Cam Newton played pretty well down the stretch in that first game against the Bills last year. Almost led the comeback. We remember the big Justin Zimmer play. The second game, not so much. They had him figured out. I think that, you know, if he's forced to play and P.J. Walker – you know, he, he's quarantined right now because he's a close contact. Matt Barkley is in the COVID protocol right now. Who knows what this quarterback situation is going to look like on Sunday. But I think Cam Newton, even if he plays the whole time, this Bills defense, they have some answers for what he tries to do, what he's good at doing. Oh, that's absolutely the case. And listen, I think this defensive line is also a little bit on notice. Earlier this yeah. week, Sean McDermott was asked about the, the front four, and he said, 100%, they need to do more. Yeah. We have not seen enough from Jerry Hughes. Mario Edison has probably been the most consistent, but it still hasn't been anything to write home about. 
Uh, you have Ed Oliver, who in terms of defensive tackles and the defensive line as a whole, I think has had the best season. Mm-hmm. I was talking to Deans when I said that Addison's been the most consistent. Uh, so I, I want to see how these guys react to this, how they perform. But this is also a, a game where I'm ex- I'm excited if I'm a Bills fan to see how this pass defense does against P.J. Walker or Cam Newton because, listen, neither of these guys are, are great passers right. at this point in the game. Well, and I mean, I've watched a lot of Cam Newton. You guys have watched a lot of Cam Newton. My guys struggled to throw football for a while now. This isn't a new problem. This has been going on since 2017 where he just has not found consistency. We watched him one-hop short passes last year in New England. We've seen it with Carolina. His mechanics since dealing with all those throwing shoulder injuries have completely shifted, and it's a very elongated release. He has to get himself aligned, and he really kind of has some sequencing in that release, and it invites contested situations, right, because he doesn't get the ball off quick, he doesn't get the ball off accurately, and he doesn't have the same velocity he did earlier in his career. And so, yeah, he's concerned about Jordan Poyer and my guy, right? I mean, because those guys are going to break down some footballs because he's just not physically as a thrower where he used to be. Now, he can still run, and that's a dangerous thing. And I'm sure that they're going to run him pretty a lot on Sunday. But as, as far as throwing the football, cold conditions, your best receivers hobbled. You don't have Christian McCaffrey. You're an undermanned offensive line against a, a good Bills defense. you got to like your chances. We got a good question here, and I think it's a topic that we can kind of get into a little bit. Why not use Antonio Williams in this game? And listen, I know that there's this clamor. I think people that watch the Shout podcast, listen, Ryan Talbot had a man crush for a long time on Antonio Williams. And I get it. Like, just wanting to see what it looks like, it makes a lot of sense. Um, I guess to start off with, you know, the, the Bills went to Zach Moss against the Patriots. It didn't really work out. They were looking for more physical uh, type of run game. They weren't able to establish that, rightfully so, considering they've had trouble establishing a physical run game, you know, really the last couple of years since they drafted both of these guys. So now they go to Brita and Devin Singletary. I thought both of them played decent last week in very limited roles. Now this week against this Carolina front, you're probably not going to have a lot of success running the ball. I think you want to have as many weapons in the passing game available. Tom Sweeney probably gets back. He doesn't have a designation. Reggie Gilliam's probably in the mix because of his blocking ability. Special teams. Taiwan Jones, by the way, is questionable with a knee injury. Uh, so Reggie Gilliam's definitely going to have a, a, a jersey on Sunday. You know, I I like the idea of Antonio Williams. I just don't know giving him a shot because nothing has really worked. But who are you benching? You benching Devin Singletary? I'm not quite yet. I think everything that you just said there makes me want to see Zach Moss. On Sunday, and I'm not Zach Moss' big, biggest fan, right? I'm not. But one thing I can tell you about Zach Moss, I think we can all agree on, is that he's a really good pass blocker. Yes. And in, a t- in this type of game where we have some concerns about the left tackle situation and a, a fast and physical Panthers front seven, it's probably a good idea to dress your best pass blocking uh, running back in, in a game like this. And maybe that's at the expense of a Matt Breida. And you go back to that Moss Singletary show, and it really comes down to Zach Moss being a, a big part of the protection schemes on Sunday. Yeah, I love that idea. I think that's 100% correct. Like we already mentioned Brian Burns. We already mentioned Hassan Reddick. You need to have someone back there to protect Josh Allen, especially when he's not 100%. So this might be another game where Zach Moss suits up. Devin Singletary, I know he's not a true number one back, but I thought he had a nice game against yeah. Tampa Bay. Uh, four for 52 off the top of my head. He had something like six receptions. 
So he was a factor in that game. Matt Breida has shown at times that he can be a weapon in terms of the passing game more than the running game. I think he had two of his three touchdowns have come as a receiver. But you need to protect your franchise quarterback when he's less than 100%. So Zach Moss makes a lot of sense. And, Matt, you're right. I am a big fan of Antonio Williams. But, listen, I'm not there every single day. The Bills coaching staff is. If they felt that Antonio Williams would bring something to this team that these backs couldn't, he'd be in the lineup on Sunday. We had another question here. I think it's a good conversation to get into because, and listen, we might have to kind of sit back here and say, and, and, and kind of earmark 10 or 15 minutes for it because it's a long one. But one of the things that I think, if you're a Bills fan right now, looking at this team, one of the biggest frustrations I feel like is the defensive line and the lack of production that you're getting from it. You know, I put out a tweet yesterday and it got, you know, varying levels of engagement about, you know, Joey Bosa. You know, nine and a half sacks on the season, six strip sacks. I mean, he's an animal. He's in that, you know, 95, 95th percentile. He's an elite pass rusher, right? The Bills defensive ends as a, as a group, 10 and a half sacks. And I know it's not all about sacks. Trust me. I'm not sitting here and saying, you know, Jerry Hughes has to have 15 sacks to, to you know, uh, make that fifth, that 10 million that he's making, you know, worthwhile. But I think across the board on the edge, the Bills aren't getting enough production from those players. I think that at this stage, A.J. Epinesa, you know, for as good as he looked in that Miami game, I almost feel like, you know, he, he teased Bills Mafia a little bit. It's like, here's what I can kind of do on my best day. And he hasn't really found that, again, a half sack this season. It's just not enough from the group right now at defensive end. Especially when you consider what's been invested here, free agent dollars for Mario Addison and Jerry Hughes, big-time draft capital, and Boogie Basham, A.J. Epinesa, of course, Greg Rousseau. And those are younger players, so you like to give them a little bit of a leash here. But, yeah, I mean, when the Bills paid those players and when they drafted those players high, pressures are nice, but you want to make those big splash plays. You want to finish with sacks. And, I mean, like you said, McDermott came out and said it. Yeah, I want them to affect the game more. And, and I mean, McDermott's not that type of coach that really communicates that type of thing. right? He's, he'll kind of give you some – some buzzy phrases about their young players that are developing. And, you know, we, we like the way that they prepare and their, their mental makeup and they have good habits. But, no, he, he said, we need to make more plays. And no time like the present. I think this is the type of offensive line in Carolina that you can absolutely take advantage of. Like I said, I think they're undermanned at four spots. They have indecisive quarterbacks. I mean, if, if they're going to show up and build some momentum, this is your launch point. This is when it's going to happen. Next week's going to be tough against New England. Mac Jones get the ball out quick. They got a great offensive line. We need to get some momentum this week. And, um, yeah, I, I think it's 100% fair to put this defensive line on notice. There's a lot of investment there, and there's not enough big plays. Yeah, and, and it reminds me of the end of last year where Brandon Bean pretty much said, we have to invest in this defensive line. That's why our, our season ended when it did. We couldn't get after Patrick yeah. Mahomes. And they're still not getting after any quarterbacks right now. This could be a matchup. And now A.J. Epineza is on the, on the list, as you mentioned, injury list, as you mentioned. But – this is a bad Panthers offensive line, so this could be a game where he shows up again or Greg Rousseau shows up again. Boogie Bash has been inactive more than anything else. F.A. Obata has that versatility inside-outside. We're seeing a little bit from him. But this unit's been disappointed. There's no other way to put it, Matt. There's no other way to put it, Joe. And they need to show up in a big way, especially if you're getting called out by Coach McCurman. All right, so get out of here for a second, Scott. Um I want to give a little background on yeah yeah right here yeah right perfect there. yeah yeah so you gotta get on this right on this mic here so how this podcast came together I feel like it's pretty 
important to give the listeners a little background. So Scott Moranto, a uh, big fan of the Shout Pod and obviously Locked On Bills, he sent us a DM when he found out that you were coming into town. And he said, hey, can we possibly get the guys together for a joint podcast? So this was kind of – this was your idea. This was your, your brainchild. I'm, I'm loving it. I'm loving yeah. every, every minute of it. Um, wasn't prepared to come on camera. Just had some hot wings. Thank you <laughs> for dragging me down here. All sweaty forehead and all. So It's good, though. Yeah. No, we appreciate you guys. I mean, this is like we, – we, we talk about it all the time. We have so many awesome – fans that are so heavily involved in the you know conversation of it all and you know getting oh thank you so much i appreciate it uh getting getting joe out here you know getting all the you know bill's mafia i've seen people all over the there's a ton of people up there all over the bar yeah came out to see joe marino mostly but no i appreciate you i want to give you a little little love i appreciate it yeah i mean everything that you guys do like this is just for us the fans like we just appreciate what you guys put out there and like yeah i just my man, happy, happy, to, happy to bring this together. So I know everybody else is enjoying it. So. Awesome. Well, well, we're gonna hang out afterwards, but I want to give you a little shout out. Enjoy those wings. All right, well, we're, ours are coming out soon, boys. By the oh. way. So a little something about Sunny Reds, right? So do you know any of the background? I know everything you've told me. Okay. Which is basically that Eric Wood has a a wing named after him here. This is his spot. Yes. Okay. So that was like that was the plan, right? Like. I wanted Eric to come out. Like we we're gonna have him on the show. He doesn't get in until tomorrow, so it was a super. Bummer. And he just had that family trip to Disney, yes, right? Yes, yes, yes. yes. Um, so it just didn't work out timing wise, day wise. Like we all have like you know revolving schedules. It would have been so awesome. Eric's always so great with his time. Um, but he, it would have been so awesome to have him here to eat the wing uh, that's named after him. It's so elite. I can't wait to have it. My mouth is watering for it. But Sunny Reds, you know, behind us here. They make Bruno. It's the uh, the wood fire. Uh, they cook up all the pizzas. It's so delicious. It's like a hidden gem of Western New York. Uh, it's so awesome. So uh, definitely get down. Even if it's not tonight, get down to Sunny Reds. It's it's really elite food all across the board. What do you like to do, by the way, when you get into town? Because like eat. How often do you come? Here? <laughs> how often do you come here? Matt, I came in October for the Houston game. Uh-huh. That was the first time I was here since 2011. Yeah, dude. So, um, yeah, no, listen, I used to come all the time. You know, my mom lived up here and I was younger. Me and my brother would come up for games all the time. And then my mom moved back. My grandparents started visiting me all the time. I never really had much reason to come. And then I just been starting to do this podcast and seeing how awesome everybody is. I mean, you guys feel that, right? Like just how supportive Bill's Mafia is and like, you just want to spend time with them. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, that's what it's about for me. I want to spend time with the people that I talk to. But when I talk to them, I'm looking at a wall. I'm looking at a computer screen. I want to see these people. I want to thank them for listening and and, and making it possible for me to get to do this work. And so um, I do have family in the area. And so it's been awesome, like, to, to get off the plane today and see the people that I saw in October and be like, man, I know that I wasn't here for 10, for 10 years, but I've been here twice in the last three months, and it's not going to take much to get me back up here. I'll be honest with you. Like, I love I love being up here, and um, my wife loves being up here. It's it's just a different community. Football matters. You know, I don't live in a great football town, and that's a little bit of a shot. No, it's not a shot. It, it, the Carolina Panthers are here, right? Like, that's the town that I live in. It's a city of transplants. Nobody loves football there, right? It's a wine and cheese crowd. They show up. It's about business appointments, taking clients. It's not passionate football fans. I come here and I get that. I, I, you go into to the neighborhood grocery stores. You walk down the streets. Everybody's talking about the bills. 
The city is on fire about it. You go outside in Carolina, I go to the grocery store in Charlotte, Giants fans, Packers fans, Steelers fans, a go Bills, right? You're going to get a Bills fan there, Dolphins fans, you know, a few Panthers fans. This is a town that loves their football team. And I love, I just want to be in here. I want to be in this atmosphere as much as I can. Joe, I don't want to interrupt you real quick, but a few years ago, the Bills had those joint practices with Carolina. Yeah. Would you say there's probably oh, more brothers. Bills fans than Panthers? Hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah, you were there. I, you were you were sweating. I saw you. You were, you were struggling, man. I was in the shade. Was, Matt Perino was walking to the you side were there with our buddy Greg Thompson. Greg Thompson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh man, I was glad to be in the shade. Hot. Yeah, but yes, uh, they showed up in Spartanburg for sure. Yeah. So when you said wine and cheese, my wife's ears perked up. She's she she's a buffalo lady. Like she yeah. loves wings and beef on whack. But you give her some good cheese and wine, like she's she's there. A charcuterie board. Yeah, You're not getting that at a football game, though, right? See, I yeah, knew it. She knows. Yeah, she right, knows. right. Um, all right, let's uh, let's change gears here. We got a good question, and I know you know Ryan really featured Gabriel Davis this week. We got a chance at One Bill's Drive to sit down with Gabriel Davis for 12 minutes. We got to talk to him quite a bit. It's an elevated role. What are our expectations for Gabriel Davis? Because I think a lot of what I'm expecting we saw in the second half against Tampa Bay. One, first of all, he already has that chemistry with Josh Allen. Seven touchdowns as a rookie, 599 yards. Back-to-back touchdowns this year in, in, in the last two games and already 100-yard game against the Jets earlier this year in Week 10. So you know what you're going to get from him. Maybe he's not as crisp of a route runner as Emmanuel Sanders, but he seems to always get open along the sidelines when Josh Allen needs him most. Go back to that fourth down play last week. Yeah. If the Bills had won that game, that's all we're talking right. about is the fact that he kept moving forward. He had that contact, and he ended up getting past the chains. I'm excited for this. I was hoping to see him actually get take over that role because he had earned it in practice. And I'm not saying he hasn't earned it, but in, I think an injury now to Emmanuel Sanders is opening the door for him. And I wouldn't be shocked at all, guys. If going forward, even when Emmanuel Sanders is healthy, if Sanders is playing more of that reserve role and you see Gabriel Davis take over significant reps. It'd be good for the team if it happened, you know, especially as you look forward with this receiving core and, you know, Emmanuel Sanders on a one-year deal, Cole Beasley, his contract's up after next season. And, you know, there's some opportunities there for the Bills to either restructure, move on, whatever they want to do, you know, with Cole Beasley. And so if you see Gabe Davis in kind of this extended runway here to get an opportunity – to show what he can do in this offense, it would be great for the team. Now, the draft guy in me, he, you know, I, I, I like skill sets. I talk about what people are capable of on the field. And I think I've been a little bit skewed on Gabriel Davis because he's not a do-everything receiver, right? Like, he's a guy that I think has been a beneficiary of his role, right? Like, the fact that he's the fifth option in the passing game allowed him some favorable looks. He's got good size and good ball skills. So he's got, like, this unique skill set within the context of the Bills' offense. And so I have been a little bit resistant and not as eager as some to say, okay, it's time for Gabriel Davis to have a bigger role because I understand the limitations with his skill set. But I think where that gets trumped is the chemistry that you were talking about, Ryan, is that this guy's on the same page with Josh Allen. And if you can take all of those things and the reasons why he is successful and complement that with – the chemistry that Josh Allen has with him, you can get some production. Now, I still want to see another do-everything receiver in this offense, but my panic level is not as high as it maybe was because it feels like 
every time Gabriel Davis gets the opportunity, he delivers. Now, I, we do have to acknowledge that last year down the stretch, he faded, right? Like the drops were there. There was a lot of inconsistency. And so that definitely tempered my thoughts on Gabriel Davis entering this year and really buying into him being a top three passing option for this team. But as the season has gone on, as he's continued to take advantage of his opportunities, I've certainly opened my eyes to the opportunity. And there's a there's an excitement within me as well to see what he's going to do with this opportunity. You know, what I think Gabriel Davis has shown, I, I do agree with your point that he, you know, hit, hit a little bit of a rookie wall. But I go back to that Indianapolis game and they needed him, yeah. even though he was banged up. And I still yeah. don't think we know how banged up he really was, you know, in the playoffs. He's a guy that he makes big plays in big spots. And I think you 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 like that competitive nature that he brings to the table. I like them to, I, I like to see them, you know who I'd like to see them really go after. We can get into make it change gears here to some more, you know, bigger picture stuff. I know Scott wanted us to hit on a, a couple of offseason things, and I wanted to pick your brain on some draft topics. You know, I really like the idea of like a do everything type of player, like a Corderell Patterson, who's going to be a free agent oh, next that's, year. You mean a do everything, do everything type? Yeah, right, right. Like in everything and everything. Everything. Yeah. All right, everything. I hear. Yeah. Listen, like I, I get it. There's other wide receivers that you can probably go after. I think that there's some, you know, obviously you could probably go into some draft prospects that probably fit what you're talking about. But I think a guy like you know Corderell Patterson, who kind of affects the game. Emmanuel Sanders is likely not going to be back next year. Like, whenever you hear a guy start talking about retirement, it's usually, you know, the end in a lot of ways. There's a couple of free agents that I'm, I'm interested to get into. But in terms of Gabriel Davis, I think at the very least, even if even if Emmanuel Sanders isn't right for the rest of the year, I think you have faith in Davis knowing that he can make big plays in big spots. And, oh, by the way, you know, what we talk so much about this, Ryan, like in the offseason about Dawson Knox and, like, the lack of a tight end and like, you know, how much of a role was there in this offense for a tight end? Well, I think that the way that Dawson Knox has sprung into action this year, it's almost limited the opportunities for that third wide receiver. No, I agree completely with that. Listen, there are two players we said going into the season needed to show up in a big way. And it was Dawson Knox and Ed Oliver. Both have responded. Dawson Knox, though, eight touchdowns, setting franchise records for this team in a single season. He's lived up to the hype, and you're right. It's taken away from that role. It's taken away from Nicole Beasley, who last year was an all-pro. It's taken away from the Emmanuel Sanders, and that's okay because you have a dynamic, young, athletic tight end that can do a little bit of everything. So I don't think that's a bad thing, but I'm, I am really interested to see what Gabriel Davis looks like now in year two. You mentioned that Colts game. I want to say it was back-to-back plays where he had those toe drags against the Colts along the sides when the Bills' offense really was struggling to get anything going in that first half. So I want to see what he can do. Matt, we've talked about this on the pod, the development of players. It hasn't necessarily – we haven't seen it a lot on the defensive side at Oliver withstanding, but we're starting to see it on offense. What does Gabriel Davis look like on Sunday in this matchup? You know, Joe mentioned he doesn't have the overall skill set that maybe you want in in that number two wide receiver role, but he has the size. He's lethal as like a slant wide receiver. Slant's using that size. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm interested in seeing that. I want to see these young guys continue to step up with Buffalo. I would have liked you to shave before you came today. I know. Like, I feel like you really let us down. I thought you were going to come with a really, like, fresh goatee. It looks like, what has it been, three days, four days? Uh, it's been quite a few days. Listen, I'm teaching. I still have 
four more days next week. Oh. I am just survival mode. Survival mode. Yeah, I feel like I'm on Survivor where I'm not shaving at all. I'm starting the fire with the sticks. That's where I'm at right now. Every time he comes to town, he's usually got a fresh like shave on the top. Cut like really nicely cut beard. You're looking pretty good. You're looking pretty fresh. I did. I did that. Yeah, I did. I did that. Right. I came to town and I did what you thought Ryan would do. And I gotta be honest, wasn't expecting you to go that angle there. I was. I was listening. I'm sitting here in the middle, wondering what we're, where, where you're going with with that. But uh, he's calling after, you out, my guy. He goes after me for my apple takes. He goes after me all the time. Oh, your apple takes. Wait, wait I listen to this. No, no, I listen to this. Honey, it's you. You're the one that doesn't appreciate a number one ranked apple in a honey crisp. So here's I can't pay five dollars an apple. I'm not at that point in my life. Because, but I tell you, we're the best honey, apple. Honey crisp is a five dollar an apple. And in, in, in Charlotte, North Carolina, you go with the Harris Teeter. You get the big ones for five bucks a piece, man. So, a little interesting tidbit here. So I got a couple of pink ladies in my in, in my fridge at home. You're not a fan. They're, okay. they're, they're supposed they to be similar. To, no, they don't live off. They don't live. Okay, I gotta tell you, I hate to admit this. I've been low key buying honey crisps. Because of the best apple. I'm disappointed in myself for waffling. AQ, what's your apple? What's the number one apple? See, oh, that's another one that people have been telling me about Snapdragon. All right, let's get let's get Quinn in here for a minute. Let's get Quinn. Can we can we move the, the camera back a little bit so you can get in here? I'll get right in here. All right, cover one. He's well represented. Aaron Quinn, um, everybody's favorite troll. Maybe not favorite, but not favorite. I'm but troll. Did he call you a troll? I call him a troll. Sometimes he trolls. I troll some people. Oh, been known to. Mostly Greg. He deserves it. No, we we joke around about it. So when I first got back to the beat, and I didn't really know Aaron personally, I was always kind of like, "What is it? Who is? He's very confrontational." I'm abrasive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but if you don't have bad takes, he'll leave you alone. I mean, that's yes. Yeah. But here's a funny story. Like over time, like we DM a ton. I love this dude. I'm not a bad guy. Like. I, I've kind of just come to I've kind of come to learn that like you just have to know that that's coming. Yeah. Like today we had an exchange. Yeah. And then like three three years ago I probably would have been like, what? The, Why w- are you coming at me? WTF, bro? Yeah. But no, it was great. I'm passionate. Yeah. Right. Like I love the Bills. I'm passionate about it. Uh, I think I'm smart when I talk about the Bills. You are smart. And so uh, I get abrasive with people, but it's more. I have these opinions that I want to share and Twitter doesn't always have tone. That's something we've talked about. Too. Tone doesn't always come yeah. through. And it's not so much that I'm trying to call somebody out or get at somebody. It's just that, Hey, I might not agree with you and I'm not going to uh, kind of pussyfoot around. I'm going to tell you, I don't agree with you. And let's have that conversation online about it. And I think most people that have had those conversations with me at the end have formed the same type of relationships that we have where it's of respect 100%. at the end of the day. I would, I'll say this, anybody that doesn't like Aaron Quinn just doesn't listen to his podcast because you're exactly right. It's the tone because there are times where I'll read something that you've tweeted and I'll be like, man, what is he talking about? And then I listen to your podcast and I'm like, just reminded of the way that you are sure. and like you, you receive it better. Yeah. So, and there's not a yeah. lot of nuance that can be had in that sure. many characters yeah. on Twitter sometimes. So sometimes stuff gets put out there. I was just talking to uh, Mike here offline and talking. He's like, oh, you're, you kind of hate sacks, don't you? And I was like, no, who, no, everybody <laughs> likes sacks. So that's not what I advocate for. It's just that I think pressures matter. And I listen to Joe every week and hear Joe talk about the pressure splits between QBs of, of when they're pressured and when they're not. And then I look at the Bills past defense DVOA, and I'm like, well, something's working here. And so I'm not going to get super mad that they're not getting sacks, but I'm never going to 
advocate against getting sacks, but we had put out a tweet and people think you're against something. Let's go back into this for a second because I think the biggest thing for me with pressure versus sack production, yeah. I feel like if you have a difference-making pass rusher against an elite offensive line where you're going to have matchups no matter where you line up, like if you're an edge rusher, if you're Joey Bosa lining up on the left or the right side, and you're going up against, say, a Donovan Smith or whoever's on the other side for Tampa Bay, it's a type of situation where if you have that elite guy, you're almost in a lot of ways set up more to affect the quarterback, even if it doesn't result in sacks, but getting the pressures in those games. I came away from the Tampa Bay game underwhelmed with even the the way that they affected the quarterback, and more so than the lack of sacks in Tom Brady, if that makes sense. But I no, saw I, I saw that on film, right? Like watching the Bucks all week long. I didn't feel like they were going to affect Tom Brady at all. I didn't think they'd get his jersey dirty at all. Like that's sort of the strength of that offense is their ability to keep Brady clean. And he doesn't even need a, that clean of a pocket because he gets the ball out so quick anyway. I think looking at that game, that offensive line is so stout that right. even a Jerry Hughes who's having a decent pressure year never gets sacks. And even when he gets his hands on guys, they seem to always get away from him. I'm surprised you didn't come after my Jerry Hughes tweet. I can't come after everything, right? <laughs> <laughs> and also, I understand, the here's the, I understand the frustration with Jerry Hughes. But here's the thing about that, too. It wasn't necessarily to kind of dunk on Jerry Hughes as much as it was like – just to put the information out there, because yeah. I think sometimes, like, if you're a fan watching every week and you're like, where's Jerry Hughes in, like, you know, comparison to other elite pass rushers, right. listen, he's making almost $10 million a year. Totally. And that's, that's, that's a lot of money. Yeah. Absolutely. And I want to see that uh, sack total for Jerry Hughes be up for, like you said, what he's making. But once those checks clear at the beginning of the season, I'm not a person that typically. Greg loves talking about what guys make and, and comparing them to what they make. Once those checks clear, that's on Brandon Bean. That's not on anything else. And so I don't particularly care what a guy makes. I just want the pressures there. I want the sacks there as well. Uh, but to your point, I get why people are frustrated with Jerry Hughes and not getting that pressure rating even higher and those sack ratings even higher. But I'm more frustrated with AJ Epinesa not developing. I'm more frustrated that Greg Rousseau hasn't developed with the rookies that are developing alongside him and comparing them to those rookies because Jerry Hughes is probably not going to be on this team next year. Mario Addison's also probably not going to be on this team next year. And you double dipped at that defensive end position because you wanted these guys to develop now. And that's what I'm not seeing. So that's where my frustration is, is what's next in this pass rush? Because I think they're going to have to make big investments again next year at a position they just made a bunch of investment in. Yeah, like you try to get ahead of it, right? You did everything you could. You pick Rousseau, Epinesa, Fashion. You feel like that's your top three next year. But can anyone us, any one of us on this panel right now sit here and feel really good that, oh, yeah, the Bills are set at defensive end. They did this smart thing. They have a bunch of rookie contracts and impact players, right? Like that was the idea. And unless something changes, they have a bunch of pretty good, right, like yeah. defensive ends and, and still missing that difference maker that can take over football games and that you know when it's a long and late down and you need a play that they're going to deliver. It's disappointing that they're at that place. No, I agree with that completely. And listen, you can't wow. count on one of these young players stepping up, Joe, and being that answer next year. And, and I'm going to give the Bills some credit. They went after J.J. Watt, and J.J. Watt yeah. obviously landed on the IR list there in Arizona. But they were at least looking for that veteran presence that could teach the young guys, that could be an impact player when he was healthy. And it just didn't pan out. But you're right. The Bills are going to have to double dip again this year. 
Addison, I think, is gone. I think Hughes is gone. So there's some there's going to be some intriguing names out there. And the Bills aren't in a great spot cap-wise right now. Obviously, moves can be made. Numbers can – I'm not going to sit here and say the cap space is, is a lie. But the Bills can move money around and, and make enough room to, to get an impact pass rusher. But they have to go back to that well again because you can't depend on these young guys. Gregory Rousseau has been pretty solid against the run, but you didn't draft him to be solid against the run. You wanted him to be able to, be able to get after that quarterback, use that size, use those that raw ability that he has. Maybe he'll develop, but you can't count on that next year. Well, and you go back to the Kansas City game, right? What, he got three sacks, he had the interception. You're like, oh, boy, all right, they got one here in Greg Rousseau. And, yeah, he's played the run well. And that's not what I wanted to be saying about him what is this, week 14, 15, right? Yeah. I mean, so let's not act like he's a disappointment. I think he's exceeded my expectations, right? So simultaneously, while there's a level of disappointment, he's exceeded what I thought he would be in year one. But that that first four games of the season tease was exactly that, a tease. Speaking of exceeding expectations, these wings, real Whoa. quick, I had some off camera. They don't have these in Charlotte, man, I'll tell you. Dude, I'll tell you, I didn't realize these wings are real. They're legit. These are the Eric Woods, right? I don't. I just got the Justin. These are the Eric Woods, right? Okay. So get your face in here, real quick. Wow. Get your face in here, brother. My man Justin, the uh, owner of Sunny Reds, right? Correct. All right. These are the Eric Woods, which, by the way, that was our that was my hope for the guest tonight, Eric Wood. Not gonna get inside until tomorrow. That's kind of a bummer. Still love Eric. But we're getting it. Thank you so much for letting us uh, come out here tonight. I appreciate you guys coming. That's awesome. Yeah, definitely. We're going to crush these. Yep. Absolutely crush them. Thank you. All right. So let's all all, all grab a wing. Oh, boy. Let's all grab a wing. I think think it's that time of the show. Don't tell me twice. We got plenty. I just ate an entire order. All right. You can watch us and kind of right out. I'm going to watch you. What? You know, we're on camera right now. Got to get a little blue cheese. Yeah, Yeah, get a little blue cheese. It's good for you. I like blue cheese. Don't let anybody I'm tell you. I'm disappointed nobody grabbed the flat. Come on. <laughs> I just grabbed we're, the first we're one in available. Right we're now, where flat is really complicated. It's tough. It's yes. tough. All right. You ready? Yeah. Let's, uh, let's cross this way. Right. Pat Moran is somewhere very jealous of you oh guys crushing some wings. He's drinking in Florida <laughs> right now. Well, not he's having a good wings. He would. He would. Here's the thing with this wing. I get it, Eric. I it hits it. you with a little spike. Oh my god, Joe! Joe, you see how we take care of you? Come to Buffalo, we take care of you. What man. are you guys doing in two weeks? Wow! <laughs> Look at this. Unreal. Wow. We got the we got the straight barbecue now. Mm. Wow. You guys are in trouble tonight. What is Whoa, it? I, the general. General. I style. love general oh. Unreal. I'm Unreal. excited. All right, so. Here's something that we gotta get into: position needs. Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a, a topic. Even at this stage of the season, listen, there's a lot of football left to play, and this is still, in my opinion, a, a Bills football team that is in the mix for anything they want to get be in the mix for. Right. You know, like I know a lot of people nationally are kind of taking their foot off the gas in terms of the Super Bowl hype, and I get it. But you look around the AFC; I don't think there's a team that they they can't beat on any given day. So. With that in mind, let's look at some of the, the position needs for this team. You know, listen, I, I know that there's issues on this offensive line, but for me, I think defensive line, particularly defensive end, I know you spent a lot of draft capital on defensive end. I mean, Boogie Basham, 
AJ Epinesa, Greg Rousseau. I don't think you're going to dip your toes back in the water in the draft. But I think it, it might be time to spend some money, what, however you have to do it, to bring in some type of high-profile pass rush this offseason. I think kind of tying into what you're saying there is I think one of the mistakes that Brandon Bean has made is at times I think he's been a little dishonest about what he has in some players, looking at players like Cody Ford and John Feliciano, and really just kind of relying on them saying, all right, those are our guys, those are our guards, but they've done nothing but put on tape that they're inconsistent players that have their share of moments, right, but their share of inconsistency. And so, I, Matt, while you, while you bring up a good point here that you feel like this defensive end situation is a need, but simultaneously they've made those investments, it's going to be kind of another opportunity for Brandon Bean to either do something or, again, say, I trust what I have, and if he does, you better be right. Because we we can't find ourselves in another situation where we're talking about this again next year where it's like, wow, they made more investments on the defensive line and it's still not among the better units in the NFL. No, I agree completely with that. And listen, I, I think one of the biggest problems with GMs is, is they almost trust their draft classes too much yeah. or their undrafted free agents and the development process. Mike Butker has been better since he's been out there this year, but he is not necessarily someone you want out there starting 16, 17 games per season. They invested a lot in the defensive line. There's no one there that we are going to necessarily trust next year to take that next step. So is he going to double down on his free agent signings, his draft classes? I would hope not. I would hope he would say, listen, we fell short of the expectations. After making the championship game one year ago, and listen, the final chapter hasn't been written this year. Maybe the Bills make a run. Anything can happen in the playoffs. But they have to find a pass rusher that can make a difference week in, week out. I think this offensive line needs to be improved. Not a knock on Feliciano. Not a knock on Darrell Williams. Both are paid in free agency. Neither guy is a difference maker, in my opinion. So maybe you go first round in the draft and, and go after that uh, offensive lineman in free agency. You go and get that elite pass rusher. There's certain areas where players where you can wait out the development process. Defensive end is not one of them when you have a championship window right now, and that's where the Bills are at. One thing I want to piggyback off of what you said about how Bean trusts in some of the players, I think where it's paid off is cornerback, right? Like yeah. Levi Wallace, a lot of people didn't have trust in him going into the season, put together a really nice year. Dane Jackson had a pretty nice game this past week. I'd like to see him, if he puts together a nice month of football here without Shadavius White, that sort of takes that position off the board for me going into next year. And so that would be something, you know, people have wanted that cornerback position drafted consistently for the last three years. They haven't really addressed it. So that would be one that takes it off the board. Another success story, tight ends, right? Yeah, right. I mean, how we, that's all we talked about this offseason was tight ends. 88s look pretty good to me. Looking good to me. <laughs> Were you team drafted cornerback? No. So I think I'm always okay with drafting cornerbacks. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. I'm all, you just kind of do it, and they they did. Uh, but man, things got so crazy with the Levi Wallace slander that I did like a 35 minute just elevator pitch on Levi Wallace is not the worst football player you've ever seen, and for what they ask him to do, he delivers. And I think that because of I don't know, maybe I'm a little responsible for this. Where, like, you're just aware of the limitations that Levi Wallace has and that any time that he gives up a play, it's, like, magnified, right? Because, oh, he's just not big and fast enough, and so he's getting exposed. Like, 
No, he's getting exposed to the same level as everyone else. You just care more about it because you're aware of what these shortcomings are. And so I think you say it really well all the time on your podcast, though. Like we as fans need to watch the Bills and the same or the other teams yes. in this league the same way we watch the Bills. And if you watch the other cornerback twos, receptions happen. Like it's a passing league, it's an offensive friendly league. Like this happens to other guys every single weekend. And so we were just watching guys like Levi give up those receptions and not saying, well, that's normal cornerback to play. Yeah. Well, when you have an elite cornerback opposite, yeah. when Trey White's healthy, of course you're going to go after the other guy. And Levi is more than satisfactory. And going back to the question about, like, the draft, I'm always okay with the cornerback as well, but I'm going to sit here. I'm, not gonna, I'm going to admit something right now. I read Todd McShay's first mock draft, and I literally screamed when I read it because he had the Bills taking a cornerback, a very good one out of Auburn. And then the Roger McCreary, 29 yeah. in charms. Won't be a Bills candidate. But the next pick after was Jordan Davis out of Georgia. Oh. And I said, oh, would I love a Jordan Davis on that defensive yeah. line. A guy on the inside that could really be a space eater, really be a guy that could affect the game. So you don't necessarily have to go after cornerback. I'm a, I'm a big fan of best player available, but I'm also a fan of best player available if you're going to be able to use them right away the right way. So I feel like the Bills have been going after, in some cases, best player available, and others players that we feel almost too confident that we can develop without that track record of success. John Butler, defensive backs coach, is the only guy that I can sit here right now and sit here and say, listen, he has a track record. Levi Wallace, he helped Trey White become an all-pro. Cam Lewis, when he's been out there in his career, has looked fine. Dane Jackson has looked good when he's been out there. I can't say that about Eric Washington. Are we concerned about Eric Washington with that? Like, without the lack of development that we've seen from these young guys, is that a concern for us? 100%, and I think it goes back to Carolina. Yeah. Where a lot of a lot of those players got stale as well. I mean, when he took over as defensive coordinator, that unit didn't lose that much for them to have the regression that they did. So I know he's a, a McDermott guy, but the results aren't there. Yeah, you got to develop. Yeah, you know, one of the things too that I think is a problem, even more so than the development for me, is the unfounded belief in some of these guys. Like Vernon Butler is an indictment on Eric Washington in a lot of ways because every time I ask Leslie Frazier about Vernon Butler, he tells me or, you know, the media core as a whole about what Eric Washington believes is, you know, this player is capable of. There's games, Joe and, you know, Ryan and you know, Ryan's eating a wing and get it down. Dude. It's, it's delicious. Vernon Butler, like, I think we asked him before he got benched, we asked Sean McDermott about him and, you know, they're not going to throw their guys under the bus. I, I respect that. But Vernon Butler didn't even look like he was trying out there at times. Oh, that's Matt, game. Matt, they threw him over under the bus with their actions by inactivating him and elevating practice squad defensive tackles to play over him. I mean, that took a while to get there. Right. right but I know that they're not going to say it, but actions tell you everything, right? I mean, Eli Anquo and Brandon Bryant are, are playing in games over Vernon Butler, who's, I think he's got one of the top 12 highest. Salary cap hits this year. He doesn't play over practice squad players. Right. Yeah. And, and listen, that even goes back to last week, the defensive line talk that we had earlier. Eli Anku is the only defensive lineman. That Eli. Eli Anku. Okay. Eli. I was I was corrected by Sean McDermott on that. <laughs> I so heard it. I'll never get it wrong again. again. I'll never hey, get it wrong again. I, I said Eli. Yeah. And he, you see, he's got it out yeah. for you today. Yeah. So only D lineman that had a sack in that game against Tampa Bay. You know, that, that's telling. It goes back to what we said. This unit does not have that difference maker necessarily. So let me get this in here. Uh, we're having a good time here. I mean, who knows when we're going to stop? I don't know. If you're here, hit that like button. 
Hit that subscribe button. Scott's in the background. He's like, keep going. More takes. Uh, from Hot To Go Pizza Appetizers, Signature Fried Chicken, Baby Back Ribs and Subs, to Delicious Salads, Brownie Trays, Tops has everything you need to feed the hungriest fan. We are absolutely stuffing our face. We haven't even gotten to the pizza yet. Um, let's get to – so, all right, do we have uh, – have we landed on a spot, the top off-season name? For me, it's got to be interior offensive line. Okay. I think that guard position is a huge question. We talk about it a lot on our podcast, where pressure matters the most. And everybody wants those sexy edge rushers, and that is fun. But I still think interior pressure impacts cornerbacks the most. And so I want to stop teams from getting interior pressure on John McCallum. I don't think we have a guy on the roster right now that does that. I think Mitch Morris is fine, but even we need to start thinking about the future beyond Mitch Morris here because he's a – one bad hit away from not being the center of this team too. Was was Boogie Basham over Creed Humphrey? Yes. Was that like are we talking about something that's gonna be damaging for years to come potentially? Yes. Yeah. And I I mean to me, I, I don't like hindsight analysis. But in the moment I thought it was pretty obvious where you double dip that defensive end and Creed Humphrey I mean, just screen Buffalo Bill, the wrestling background, just a tough physical Camel dude, hands. great size. Yeah, all the stuff, everything you think they love, he's right there to pick. You have needs on the interior. But I think it also tells you the miscalculation, A, of what they thought they had in their offensive line, but B, how important they thought it was to take shots at defensive linemen. And I, I can respect that to a degree, but now you're left like, Boogie and Rousseau better be the guys that you thought they were going to be. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. All right, so we're back. Like that, it's the magic of the internet. Like we're back and You're we never went away. Yeah, yeah, we never went away. So we're talking about Wyatt Teller. We've talked about this quite a bit on the show, all of our shows, I'm sure. The Wyatt Teller topic is always, you know, at the forefront of Bill's Mafia's mind. But listen, he was a fine prospect when they had him. You know, he went to a place where he was able to kind of find his full potential. The Bills have to get to a spot now where they land on a couple of prospects and they develop them. Like on the offensive line right now, Mike Bucker is a, a nice, nice player, right? Undrafted guy that has started a ton of games for you. And, you know, but other, other than Deion Dawkins, there hasn't been a guy in this offensive line that they've developed. Hopefully that's Spencer Brown. Yep. Right. I mean, that's your opportunity to switch that. I don't have a whole lot of hope in Tommy Doyle, but I think just like we were talking about with cornerback, offensive line's another spot where you want to want to invest some draft picks in there just about every year. And it's kind of disappointing because the Bills do have a deep and talented roster, and we've seen three draft picks already just plucked off the practice squad and Rashad Wild Goose, Jake Fromm, and of course Jack Anderson. And so it's um it's a, it's a tough needle to thread, right? Because you, you can only roster so many players, and if you think you can stash them, teams are plucking them. It, it, and so it's uh, you're kind of a victim of your own roster depth at times because of the needs that exist throughout the league. I don't blame those teams. Like, if you're the Jets, why wouldn't you get Rashad Wild Goose, an athletic corner that didn't have a ton of tape at Wisconsin but, like, flashed? Why wouldn't you want that if you're the Jets? If you're the Eagles and you have the injuries that they've had in the offensive line, why wouldn't you want to – try out a Jack Anderson and see what you can get out of him. And so that's going to be an interesting thing to talk about because like Brandon Bean, he decided to trade back, right. To get some extra draft capital late because he said, we're not going to be able to get UDFAs because they don't want to sign here. 
Well, now you got this other problem. So maybe you see Brandon Bean say, okay, well, if you're just going to sign my players, I'm trading up. And we know Brandon Bean likes to trade up. So I wonder if there's a shift in philosophy, which kind of flies in the face of the reason we're having this conversation right now in that you needed to kind of take some lottery tickets at positions. But if you don't get a chance to scratch the lottery ticket, you know, it might not matter. No, I agree with that completely. Again, I've already mentioned this on Wyatt Teller specifically. He has one of, if not the best O-line coach in the league yeah. in Cleveland developing him. There's no saying he would be he would be the same player in Buffalo that he is in Cleveland. I think he was a very talented player. But the Bills went with the veterans. They went with the guys that they had. There was not room for them. So I agree with the shift in philosophy. I think the Bills need to be aggressive. If there is a guy, whether it's an offensive lineman that they feel can be a difference maker on the interior or, more importantly, a pass rusher or a true number two wide receiver in this draft class and they're, and it, they're sitting there, move up. Get that guy because you're going to get more out of that play than you are waiting and sitting around your hands. If, if it costs you a day three pick, a guy that might not even make your final roster, go and do it. You are in that Super Bowl window now. I think, too, a problem that I have with the entire strategy over the last couple of years is there's been too many picks that I get the sense there wasn't a concrete enough plan for what they were going to do with those players. I feel like Zach Moss was. We like Zach Moss. I felt like the pick was kind of like we don't know what we have necessarily in Devin Singletary, so we're going to throw another dart at the wall and say now we have two similar type of backs, and we'll see what kind of transpires. A.J. Epinesa was a guy that fell in the second round. They felt like he was too good to pass up on, but maybe didn't necessarily have a plan for how he fit. Maybe they did. Jake Fromm, same type of thing. And yeah. I think when you Green do that, I was like, all surprised he was on the board. Didn't do it. He even said, didn't do a lot of work. You're just surprised he was there. We picked him. Like, what? Right. Yeah, no, it's tough because you, right now with the Bills, like you said, you have this issue where teams are plucking off the back end of your roster. You are struggling to get those undrafted free agents, which has worked out pretty well for the Bills and Levi Wallace. And like you said, I thought, like guys contributing to this team. But now you're going to start to hit that wall where you're not going to be able to get in on those anymore. But then you're also seeing that really important positions. We haven't seen a lot of development along the offensive line. We haven't seen a lot of development along the defensive line. And those are, in my opinion, the top Whatever Kyle has, I want. That win Hamburg something. You win in the trenches. So they're either going to have to take shots earlier on at these positions or count on these coaches to develop some of these guys later in the draft. Um, Scott, what was your question that you wanted us to get into? The one, the one player that you you think the Bills need to have on this roster that we think they need to have on this roster. Okay, it's not crazy land. It's it's not crazy land. The one player that has to be on this team next year and is perfect. I got to lay the scenario out. His value will never be lower. It's Bills Carolina week. The answer to this question is Christian McCaffrey. Oh no! Oh no! He's so unreliable and he's so expensive. Scott, 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 go back and sit down. I'm, I'm a finance guy. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm a finance guy. It's a statistical anomaly that this guy, he's played 10 games in two seasons. It's a statistical anomaly in the NFL that he's not playing 16 games next season. His value will never be lower. How are NFL defenses playing Josh Allen this year? Two high safeties. Okay. One on one matchup. You're going to put your linebacker, you're going to play a cover too high versus Josh. I'm going to have a mismatch with Chris McCaffrey, the best running back out of the backfield of all time. He's a, he's a mismatch nightmare. Dude, he came over I just, here and I just, he is dropping I just put Marshall, I just put Marshall Falk 
on on blast. I put him on notice. Christian McCaffrey is a mismatch nightmare. Like that's the one guy. That's the one guy. His value will never be lower. You'll get him for cheap. Please, please. Like you don't make the boogie Basham pick because you're building for the future. We are in the Super Bowl window. The Christian McCaffrey move is what you do when you're in this window. The, I, I think the idea of Christian McCaffrey is very good and what he brings to the table. Can you promise me he's healthy for the next three seasons? Statistical anomaly that he doesn't play 16 games next season. Think of Matt Stafford. Think of Eric Wood. We, we've got the Eric Wood wings here. Guys that get labeled as injury prone. Okay, it's a two-year thing. They're not really injury prone. How old is he? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. He's just coming into his prime. Coming into his prime. All right. The the you know he fits Bill's mafia. Charitable dude. Like gonna fit into that. Gonna fit into that culture just fine. Convince me otherwise. Convince me otherwise. He's expensive and hurt. I'm going to go much cheaper option. I'm going to go with Patterson, who we already talked about, out of Atlanta. He takes away your need for Isaiah McKenzie, who if I'm Isaiah McKenzie, I'm not coming back after the benching. I'm not thinking about coming back. You what about play. for Candy? <laughs> yeah, no, no Skittles. <laughs> no amount of Skittles would bring me back if I was Isaiah McKenzie. Patterson can handle kick returns and punt returns. He eliminates the need there. He can play running back. He's dynamic in that role. Atlanta, for as much of a mess as that team is, they finally unlocked how to kind of use Patterson as a player. He can play wide receiver. I think he would thrive in Brian Dable's offense. And listen, I don't think it's a hot take to say that I think Brian Dable's going to be back next year. So the guys that are listening know that I've been the biggest Cordell Patterson fan for um, team years, been calling this dude's breakout for 10 years running. The problem with your statement there on you don't need Isaiah McKenzie, McDermott has made it clear, very clear, if you're the kick returner or you're the punt returner, you're the kick returner or the punt returner. You can't do both. Marquez Stevenson is not going to have a role in this offense this year, and I think that's a problem. It's a problem that this offense, the coaching style of this offense, why can't we see Emmanuel Sanders in the slot? Why can't we see Greg, Greg Rousseau reduce down and play inside? These guys, they they basically box box them in and say, no, no, you're our kick returner. Isaiah McKenzie, did Isaiah McKenzie have a role in the offense? How many touchdowns Post- did McKenzie have last year, though? You know, on, on the end arounds, the jet sweeps as a receiver against Miami Lake. I think he didn't have a role on offense because you had Cole Beasley, because you had guys already yeah. in those starting roles. If you can get a guy like Patterson, he can play on offense and on special teams. That's now, my own. This is my perspective. I'll give Aaron a shout out if you follow the Cover One guys. Uh, Isaiah McKenzie's role in the jet sweeps and that stuff actually statistically doesn't show that it's that it's proven to be more super effective. effective. Yeah, super effective. I mean, he was actually not one of the highest efficient guys at at that type of. Not, play yeah, not in the jet sweep, but uh, those orbit, the passes, the forward passes that you would see from Josh, you would see some good stuff there. But yeah, not the jet sweep, I think, uh, is a term that gets used and thrown around a lot, but it's more the motion that he, he provides that like shows something for Josh Allen. And then that little dump off pass. That's not technically a jet sweep. I think it's a you know, shuffle pass. Yeah, yeah. shuffle pass. And correct me if I'm wrong. We saw less of that as the year went on yes. because the Bills yeah. figured out that it's that Isaiah McKenzie, it's not that effective of a 
Well, and even league-wide, uh, you look at those jet sweep type plays. A lot of teams don't. It's a rare play, right? And that's where you see the success as it happens. Rare, and then it catches the team off guard. You get a big 15-yard gain. But when you make it a part of the offense, that yards per goes down big time. Listen, this is a this is a super pod right now. I mean, we got we got voices all over the place. This this is some good stuff, man. You bring, you're bringing the fire. I like it. No McCaffrey though. When you listen to when you listen to South. When you listen to the Shout Podcast and you listen to Locked On Bills every day, you make that your first listen every day. You, you can come with these hot takes. You got takes. You're well you You're got well takes. Informed. All right, so I want to get into two things before we wrap this thing up. Number one, we got to get into predictions for this game on Sunday. Number two, we got to talk about where the Bills stand in this AFC and this AFC East, and you know maybe some predictions about how this thing lines up. But let's start with the division. Because I'm going out on a limb, and I've said it throughout the week on radio hits and you know uh, multiple stations. I still think the Bills are winning the AFC East. Spicy, that's spicier than these wings. Listen, these wings have like the perfect amount of spice. I feel like this is the perfect amount of spice to kind of take. I I love the Colts in this matchup against the Patriots tomorrow. I I love. It. I, I think that Carson Wentz gives you enough from the quarterback position, and I think that the Colts do enough defensively in terms of taking the ball away to put stress on this Patriots offense. Now, the Patriots are not going to have Damian Harris, which I think is a problem. It's a big loss. So if the Patriots lose this game tomorrow, all of a sudden people are going to be charging this podcast. I'm like, nah, Reno had something. He's, he was on to something. All you have to do is finish with the same record as the Patriots. You're Right now you have yeah. seven wins. The Patriots have nine wins. This game in two weeks is going to be com- less than two weeks now, completely different than what we saw in Orchard Park a couple weeks ago. I think that this Bills defense just—I think that they're they're built to play against Mac Jones in a lot of ways. I think that because of the elements, they weren't really able to be who they are. When you're talking about Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde, you know, I, I'm not worried about not having Travis White if I'm a Bills fan against Mac Jones in this offense because I think. You know, also another thing, I've kind of been paying attention this week as I've asked all of these different players, coaches about Leonard Fournette coming out and saying, we knew we could run the ball against this team because they're not good at tackling. And I'll tell you right now, Jordan Boyer, Tremaine Edmonds, Harrison Phillips, Sean McDermott, they did not like to hear that. So if you think that they're going to be supercharged from, a, from that perspective, you know, making sure they get to the ball and they make tackles, I like their chances against the Patriots. And then you're sitting here potentially on the other end of it, Patriots on potentially a two-game losing streak. The Bills take care of business tomorrow or on Sunday, a two-game winning streak. It's all up for grabs. And, oh, by the way, is anybody confident in the Patriots going down to Miami and winning that game, Week 18? So the path for the Bills to win the division is they have to win out, which is totally possible, three at home, Jets, Falcons, Panthers, on the road against the Patriots. And the Dolph, or, and excuse me, the Patriots just lose two games, go two and two. Right. And the Bills win the division. That right. happens, including a loss to the Bills. I'll give you my hot take about the AFC. The current playoff field, I don't promise you they're going to be the same order, but those are your seven playoff teams. I don't think I don't think Cincinnati, Cleveland, Denver, Miami, whatever insert non-playoff team right now gets in. The seven that are in are the teams that will finish as the playoff teams in the AFC. I agree with that completely. I haven't shut the door on the Bills winning the AFC East just yet, but it really does come down to this matchup for the Patriots against the Colts. 
And I'll go back to the Titans game against the Patriots where you did not have Derrick Henry in that backfield, and the Titans were still running with great success against the Patriots, even when it was a close game in that second half. So when you have Jonathan Taylor, anything's possible. I think he's going to have a lot of success against that team. That being said, I haven't seen enough consistency from the Bills to sit here with confidence and say they're going to win this division. I went back to the Jacksonville loss. I went to these close one-score games. We haven't seen the Bills win those close games that they did one year ago. I think the, the schedule is very favorable. I think they're going to make the playoffs. But I can't just sit here. I, I love the hot take, though, Matt. But I'm not as confident they can win the East. I'm with you on this. I, I think there's more likely of a chance that they go 3-4 and four down this stretch and are still one of those playoff teams like you mentioned. 3-1? I- or three and one, yep, yeah, three and fun. one, and that they're one of those playoff teams going down the stretch. I don't think that they need to win the division, right. to get the one seed. I don't know that you know it matters. You want that bye week, but none of these playoff teams scare me, guys. I think the Bills can go up against any one of these teams on the road or at home and take care of business in the playoffs. It's for me, it's about getting hot those last couple of weeks of the season, maybe getting a little bit of a running game going here in the last couple of weeks of the season, get a little bit of confidence in yourself and take that into the playoffs. Whoever, whatever team gets hot headed into the playoffs this year, that's going to be the team that's most dangerous. I think what we've seen from Josh Allen on the road in some spots this year is, is a is good sign. I think what we've seen in the NFL and the way that teams – have been able to win on the road. I mean, the numbers are like unbelievable. Like I don't have them on the top of my head, but like the, the script has been flipped completely in terms of where you want to play. If you want to like, you know, have a home field advantage, it doesn't exist really anymore. So from that perspective, I totally agree. And I don't, I'm not even making this prediction based on like the fact that I think the bills need to win the division. I just, I don't believe in the Patriots. That's what it comes down to. There seems to listen when you win six, seven games in a row in this league, you gotta you gotta sit up and take notice of that, right? But I don't know that if there's been a situation where there's been enough stress on Mac Jones or this defense, quite honestly, where an offense put pressure on this defense to to let me to make me sit here and think that they're this this force that now should be a Super Bowl favorite. I still think the Chiefs are better. If Lamar Jackson is healthy, I know it's crazy to say, but I almost like Baltimore against this team. Maybe that's a hot take as well. That's that's true. Yeah. That's true. They're so banged up. The thing I do like about this Patriots team, and I almost want to vomit saying that I like something about them, is in the playoffs, I still am a believer that old school mentality, that defense and run game travel well into the playoffs. And I, I think that that gives them that advantage where maybe they don't have to lean on Mac Jones like we saw against Buffalo. I know that that was a bad weather game, but they proved that they can get through a game with a really good running game. They have a solid offensive line. They're good in both trenches. And I think that that travels well against any of these teams. And we know they're well coached. So you're, if you're going to make mistakes like the Bills have done, the Bills have beaten themselves more times well, than let's, time. let's not give Bill Belichick too much credit. Well, true. But the Bills, okay, you look at all these. Lines. I was just doing my best. I'm, yeah, 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 right. I'm not going to say. Uh, but in all these Bills losses, I'm a big believer. I think the Bills have beaten themselves more than other teams have beaten the Bills. And you can't do that against a team like the Patriots. So that's the only way they scare me. You're right, though. Mac Jones. If they have to put the game in his hands in the Patriots against the Bills type defense, that doesn't scare me at all. Yeah, I think the Patriots have done a good job in, of inviting teams to beat themselves, and like other teams just fall into it. The Bills did, right? I mean, and other teams will. And I mean, I, I there are good Patriots analysts out there. One of them is Mike Debate. He hosts the Locked On Patriots podcast, and 
he in Mark Schofield. I mean, both those guys have been very honest about. All right, yeah, I mean, it's exciting. Mike Mac Jones is holding his head above water. They're getting takeaways. It's a it's a good team, but they kind of stopped short of saying, "All right, yeah, this is a Super Bowl contender." Right? Like they're they're a respectable team. They were they were seven and nine last year. Like everybody forgets that that team was bad in terms of personnel. Cam Newton is a quarterback, and Belichick had them at seven and nine. That's that's no small feat. Like they're going to be respectable as long as Belichick's their coach. But the difference being just average quarterback play. What's going to happen when Mac Jones has to meet a moment, right? Where, all right, the game's on the line, and he has to dial up a fastball, or he has to, you know, extend a play with his with his legs. He doesn't have that. So when you talk about him being at his ceiling, what suggests? other than it's his first season, that there's more here. Right. Is he just going to become that sharp mentally? Right. Is he? Just, are we just going to count on him being the next Breeze or Brady? That seems crazy to me because he's maxed out physically. He doesn't have a big arm. He doesn't have mobility. So, yeah, I think he can keep his head above water and do exactly what he's doing, but there's a glass ceiling with that. The 49ers learned it with, the, with Jimmy Garoppolo, right? They got to the Super Bowl, but then they realized that this guy just doesn't have enough. In, right. That type of thing. You, right. you need a perfect storm in the in the graph right. You need a perfect storm in Mac Jones. I agree completely with that. And and I'm not trying to take anything away from New England's win streak, but you go back and you look at those games. You have wins against the Jets. Okay, it's the Jets. The Chargers, that's the one legit win, I would say. Okay, that that's when good. they were still trying to figure out their identity, too. Chargers that's too. a good win. Panthers, okay. Browns. Look at all the players that were missing there. Look at the Atlanta game. No Patterson, no Ridley. They're missing all their their star players, for the most part, minus Pitts. So then Belichick can focus in on that. The Bills game, it's a good win, but it was also a 45, 55-mile-an-hour wind gust. So there's these little caveats to it. I'm not a believer in New England either come playoff time. Can they win the AFC this year because they're two games up? 100%. But I'm not going to sit here and say that they're the Super Bowl favorites in this conference. And why are they – if they win the AFC East, why, why is that going to be true? It's because the Bills had blunders against Jacksonville and Pittsburgh and couldn't finish the Tennessee game. And what did McDermott say this week? 0-5 in one-score games. Four of those games, they had a chance with the ball at the end. That's why the Patriots will win the division. It's not because they did anything. It's because the Bills had self-inflicted wounds that prevented them from capitalizing on games they should win. I agree completely that I've been saying it all along. They're being themselves, and the Patriots are t- have taken advantage of it, not just in games against other teams, but taking advantage of the Bills being themselves and, and taking that division lead. I think the Bills have backed themselves into a corner here, and there's no more room for error like we just mentioned of the, them being themselves. That's got to end. There's no more of that. Uh, and that's really, you know, to wrap up to what you said about predictions for this game, that is my only concern in this game is if Dion's not playing and you have a low-scoring game and it comes down to a one-score game, I don't know if I have faith in the Bills not to stumble on themselves in a one-score tight type of contest the game. Like, can they get over that hump? Because I need to see it before they hit the playoffs because those games are going to all tighten up come playoff time. All right. <clears throat> Prediction time. Carolina Panthers at the Buffalo Bills Sunday at 1 p.m. Highmark Stadium. Let's go right to left, I guess. All right. Let's go with Ryan Cowboy. I have the Bills winning 27-13. Josh Allen sits the entire fourth quarter. The Bills feel like Carolina's not a threat at that point. So I'm, I'm going 27-13 Bills. I'll go 31-13 Bills. I, I, I have a hard time finding the script for Carolina. And, and as for as much as we've talked about Deion Dawkins, I mean, we got to talk about the Panthers offense. They don't have much. 
They don't have quarterbacks. They don't have offensive line. They don't have running backs. And so, and so I just don't feel like Carolina against a good Bills defense has what it's going to take to score enough points, even if the Bills offense stumbles a bit. I expect them to be aggressive, right? It's the McDermott thing. We want to be two-dimensional. We want to make them one-dimensional. You make Carolina one-dimensional, it's going to be a long day for them. You're going to get bonus podcast here. I got one more thing I want to talk about. Prediction. You already gave yours, though, right? I gave mine on our show. I'm going to stick with it, even with the potential of Dion being down. I still am going with the Bills to win 27-13, same as Ryan. Uh, I don't think that Josh is going to sit the whole fourth quarter. I think that they maybe they take it away in the fourth quarter. Uh, but I think it's a pretty easy win. I'm going to go Bills 24, Panthers 10. I don't like their offense in this game. I, I think that there could be a defensive touchdown for the Bills in this game as well. Turnover City last week against the Falcons. You know, Matt Ryan, you know, he's been all right this year, but I don't like it. I want to get into one thing before we go. I was listening to your show, your crossover pod this week, and one of the things that I thought was interesting that the uh, Carolina gentleman was talking about was Brady Christensen and how the Panthers have approached that whole process with a rookie guy and that they have not wanted to move him around at all. They wanted to keep him in one spot. I have maintained that I think one of the biggest blunders of this Bills regime has been the handling of Cody Ford from the start. Not a plan for him from the start. I think there was way too many people, I think you included, who said he wasn't a guard or tackle. He was a guard. And they're kind of middling on that front. Like, listen, maybe Cody Ford would have never developed into anything for this team. And that could be the case. But I don't think that Cody Ford has, they did him any favors with the way that they've developed him. And I think it's interesting that Matt Rule seems to, be in a camp that, all right, we're going to keep Christensen at one spot because we want him to get comfortable. We don't want to put too much on his plate. Yeah, that's because they saw him play tackle in preseason and realized <laughs> that that wasn't going to work out. I'm pretty dialed in on the Panthers. Um, man, the more I listen to Matt Rule talk, the more I get concerned about this guy being in charge of that football team. Um, and he said some goofy stuff about that quarterback position and just a lot. I mean, we, 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 could, we could spend some time on this, but I think that's just an example of them – not being comfortable with his length. I mean, Christensen's an older prospect uh, coming out of BYU. He played left tackle there, and he has the athleticism to play tackle, but at the end of the day, he just doesn't have the length to play outside. It was kind of what I said about Ryan Bates when the Bills got him. It's just like this isn't a long-armed wide guy to really just make a living playing tackle in the NFL. And so I think they learned a lot about Brady Christensen after they got him, and they had to pivot on that original idea. The Panthers need an off a left tackle. The Panthers – have had a different primary starting left tackle every single season since 2013 when Jordan Gross retired. They have not drafted an offensive lineman in the first round since 2008 when they picked Jeffrey Ota out of pit. All right, so the Panthers have definitely had their share of miscalculations on the on the offensive line as well. I got a question for you about Rule. I asked this to our guests this week. So we know a lot about going through coaches here in Buffalo, right, throughout the drought, and everybody after that, like, second year, started to get on the hot seat. Is Matt Rule on the hot seat? Yeah, for sure. No, no, yeah. So he's not getting that leash, right? At least in terms of the court of public opinion in in Charlotte. Right, right. That's what I mean. Yeah, so build as this program builder, right? Turned around Temple, turned around Baylor. And then the fact that there's there's been so many miscalculations, right? Important ones. Quarterback, right? Like Teddy Bridgewater, Sam Darnold picking up the option, bringing in Cam Newton, not participating in either of the last two quarterback classes, not trading back, like not doing anything to help yourself there. The way that they've tried to piece together the offensive line with an offensive coordinator and Joe Brady that runs five and six man protections where you have to get quality blocking up front. Like 
the way that they, he's managed things to this point and the things that he said are very much putting doubt in the minds of of Carolina Panthers fans as it relates to that rule. There's not a lot of belief. Yeah, he's got five years. And here's another thing that, that people in Buffalo may not know about uh, Carolina and Dave Pepper. Dave Pepper is like a Jerry Jones-type figure. Like, yeah, he's, well, and he's also got his fingerprints on everything. And so as, as, as Tepper gets deeper into his running Carolina, I think everyone's going to realize that this is Jerry Jones 2.0. It's a messy situation. Yeah, and listen, going back to the original question about Cody Ford, I don't think we'll ever know what he would have become if he would have stayed at one spot. But it goes back to the Daryl Williams point. When you move a player around, you're not doing any benefit to a player in terms of their overall development. Even if they've been in this league for a year, two, three years, it doesn't help them when they don't know their role on it any given week. So I think that Ford, we know what he is at this point. The Bills didn't do him any favors going to Matt Rule. I think he's on the hot seat. I absolutely agree with that. I think you look around this league, there's a lot of coaches where they're going to have a short leash now because you want to win now in this NFL. And he was the hot name at the time. Yeah. You haven't seen the results. They gave Matt Rule seven years, $60 million, made him a top five highest paid coach in the league just so that he wouldn't get on the plane and take the interview with the Giants. Yeah. I mean, what were you that Not concerned about Eric missing coach. out on? What were you that concerned about missing out on? A guy that has one year of experience in the NFL, 2012? as an offensive line assistant or something like that for the Giants? I don't know. Pepper's nuts, guys. He's nuts. And, and here's the thing. Maybe he's got five years, $50 million left on that deal. Pepper don't care. No, when you're, a, when care. you're a billionaire, that's He nothing. can find that in the cushions of his couch. You know what I mean? Like, I need one right. of those couches. Before we, before we get out of here, predict, one more prediction. Leslie Frazier or Brian Dable. Who go, who's, who's a head coach next year? Who's back? Are they both gone? Where do we all fall on it? I'll go first. I think Leslie Frazier is more likely to be gone than Brian Dable. And here's why. I think Leslie Frazier, one, can bring some defensive coaches with him. And I think there's a lot of stability there in terms of what they can bring. But two, there seems to be this unknown factor about around Ken Dorsey. And I think he could bring Ken Dorsey to be the, be the offensive coordinator. And that might be enough to convince a team where you have a young quarterback, a Jacksonville, where you have a Trevor Lawrence. Hey, look, listen, Ken Dorsey's played a role in the development of Josh Allen. I think Brian Dable deserves a lot of praise for what he's done. We've also looked at the Bills shoot themselves in the foot so many times this season. I don't think that this offense has necessarily done enough for him to be a hot commodity two years in a row. Here's the thing on Brian Dable. I feel like if he was going to become an NFL head coach, it was going to happen last year. Seven vacancies. This guy took Josh Allen from a guy that people laughed about, right, as being a franchise quarterback, and number two in the NFL MVP voting. If if Aaron Rodgers didn't throw a touchdown pass on 10% of his passes, Josh Allen's the MVP of the NFL right now. And the Bills scored 501 points. Like, that was the chance. And, and, and seven teams passed him up. Even his, his high school guy, right, uh, Tom Telesco in, in L.A. said, yeah, we, we'll, go with, we'll go with this guy, Brandon Staley. So I have some concerns about Brandon Staley or uh, Brian Dable. So I think that I think that Brian Dable is still going to – is more likely to be a head coach than Leslie Frazier. Okay. And I, I hate saying that because I want – I've been the a biggest advocate for Leslie Frazier to be a head coach. Ellie, come in here, babe. 
But I think that everything that we've seen, the fact that Josh Allen is still an MVP caliber talent, get in here, honey, means that means that the Bills are still trending in the direction that puts Brian Dable in the mix. Come here, you got something to say. Go ahead. Bills Mafia, make sure to like, subscribe, and turn on those post notifications to do the shout, the Buffalo Football Podcast, and lots on Bills. And who's your favorite? Who's your favorite host of the of the Shout Buffalo Football Podcast? Tell the truth. My dad. Oh, Alex! You're breaking my heart. Where's Owen? Owen's right there. Owen, come here, buddy. Come here, buddy. Yes. Say excuse me. Come here, Owen. Owen, come here. Come here, right here. Who's Who's your favorite host of the Shout Buffalo Football Podcast? Matt. Matt! My man! I knew it! Look at that face! Look at that face. Listen, listen, always go with your heart. I love it. Give me a, give me a high five. My man. All right, for Ryan Talbot, Joe Marino, Locked On Bills. I am Matt Marino. Aaron Quinn, go follow him on Twitter. Well, at least listen to his podcast. But, yeah, go follow him on Twitter, too. I'm Matt Perino. Thank you so much for watching. We'll see you next time. Have a great night. Sunny Reds, get down here. Get some wings. Get some pizza. Bye. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot.